Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. Famous movie quote. Yeah, a movie quote. What the fuck? This is a music podcast. What are you talking about? What's the music angle? What's the music angle? Okay. We are a music podcast, but we also love movies. So to bridge these two worlds, we're going to talk about music and movies. And specifically, where are the places in which a song is in a movie, and after seeing that scene, we can no longer think about that song in any way that doesn't relate to that movie. We're going to dig into a bunch of our favorites, notably not the best specifically, but just our favorites, and we're going to share those with you, and we're going to make a playlist, and it's going to be great. So come along with us and join us on this journey. But oh, how it feels so real, lying here with no one near, only you. And you can hear me when I say softly, slowly. Only the major Jesus freaks know that that's a lyric from Tiny Dancer by Elton John, which, as a great a song as it is, plays a major role in 2000's Almost Famous. And we're going to explain why we're talking about movies in a second. But for now, you are listening to Sounds Good to Us. I'm Gregory Hill. And I'm Jordan Stone. In the episode that you are listening to as we live and breathe, Jordan and I will be talking movies. Well, music. Well, both. Our focus today is to answer the question, what songs that when you hear them, you immediately think of a scene in a movie? In other words, we're going to be talking through songs we associate with movies we love. In other other words, what are our favorite music moments in movie history? Questions are all over the place, but I promise you're going to enjoy the episode. So Jordan, to get us started, let's dispense with the bullshit and get into the meat or the vegetarian meat patty, if that's so your choice. Tell me some things, some statements, bold statements, free association, riff for us. When you think about movies and music, tell us what you think about I have a few things to talk about before we get into bold statements. The first is, Greg, you and I are huge movie fans. Don't tell me what I am. Watching. I, I am a big movie fan. Yes. <laughs> we are big movie fans. Not because you told me I was, but because I like movies myself, independently and, of you. And we have a music podcast, but movies we know pretty <laughs> well. Music is our thing, but we're going to talk about music and movies today, the two combined together. I wouldn't personally call myself a movie buff, though. I'm a, I'm a music buff. But I don't know, Greg, are you and I in the 10th percentile of movie fans and knowledge? Is that fair to say? It is a exceedingly self-centered question, but I think <laughs> the answer, I, I don't know, 10th percentile. So I didn't say we, first, you know, 10th, I mean, 90%. Is, is your question related to like... By movie fans, our knowledge of movies, our enjoyment no, of movies, knowledge our of commercial films. We're not talking about like you know nineteen seventies French films here. American I mean, commercial. I films. might be. Why? What if I want to talk about French New Wave, the sixties, <laughs> and Jean Luc Godard and Francois Truffaut? Why not? All right, now you're just shit. damn right. I spent at least like a thousand dollars on film school for a week. I don't know. I think here's what I will say: movies now. Maybe not because yeah. movies now are Marvel movies and you don't care about Marvel movies. No, I don't. That's, so yeah. you might not 
neither of us in average you and i might not be in the 10th percentile because of your lack of knowledge of marvel movies i love marvel movies but you don't care a lot has changed i mean look everything changes over time but more has changed in movies in the last five years and the previous 20 years like I, sure. Matt Damon just came out and famously said he doesn't think that movies will exist when his kids are grown Matt Damon said that right and his kids are already grown that's the thing that's yeah, so crazy 31 about that statement. yeah <laughs> so at 32 <laughs> movies are gone this is the last movie podcast that'll ever be made but the trifecta for me and Greg is music, movies, and sports. We're going to meld the music and movies on this episode for you. The second of my first comments is okay. the title of this episode is slightly misleading. I wanted to call this out. The episode is called Best Music Moments in Movie History. These are technically not the best music moments in history. They're our favorite moments. And there's a big difference between favorite and best. Right, So favorite is what do you like personally? It's not arguable. You can't argue with someone what their favorite is. Best means objectively best. If someone said Nickelback is the best band in history, you can argue with them. Yes. That is a definitive objective statement they are making. So when someone says my favorite band is, you say, oh, cool, great. You can't say, no, it's not. Yeah, I think the definition of the internet is confusing those two things, which I'm glad this is why you're pointing it out is important because when you tell someone that you love something and their response is that stupid, which is what the internet is, as much as I love the internet, you're just want to declare shit that you care about, right? You're not saying like, we've talked about this. One of my favorite movies of all time is Fletch. Is it objectively a good film? No, you hate it. You thought it was stupid. I don't even know if you finished it when I asked you to watch it. It took you 20 years to watch it and I don't think you finished it. And it is that and Smokey and the Bandit are my two favorite movies of all time. That doesn't mean they're good. I just like them. Who cares? Fuck you if you disagree. (laughs) I'm calling that out because we're going to talk about our favorite, but we're not going to talk about what would maybe be be objectively the best, right? Why talk about Footloose and Dirty Dancing and Bohemian Rhapsody and Wayne's World? I mean, these are scenes, these are songs from movies that are very, very famous that we all know. You know these moments. I will say, though, we picked a couple of iconic scenes. This isn't us just walking down a list of the best moments. These are what the moments that mean the most to us. Sure. And lastly, the direction that we gave ourselves for this episode so that you have full context is what are the songs that when you hear them, you see the movie scene in your head? Song comes on the radio, you play it on Spotify, you walk into a grocery store. When you hear that song, you can't not think of the scene that, that from that movie that that song was in. That mm-hmm. is the theme and the driving force behind yep. this episode. So I only have one bold statement for this episode, Greg, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Okay, I, I will give them. I'm biased. We have a music podcast. Yep. I personally think that music makes or breaks movies. I don't mean just commercial hits put into you know, the soundtrack of a movie. I mean, the score of a movie, the background music. Greg, you went to film school. What are your thoughts on music making or breaking movies? I dropped out of film school, okay? And I also got fired from a college radio station. So (laughs) I have zero credentials to talk about this. But my former advisor in film school in the multiple weeks that I was there, maybe up to a month, recently won an Oscar for co-writing Black Klansman with Spike Lee. So I got that going for me. I 
I'm going to get a lot more into the specifics. I'm like, I'm a teacher at heart, which probably is fucking annoying for listeners, but I, I'm going to use my song choices to talk about how songs relate and music relate to movies in general. So I'm not going to step on those. But in some, I'll say the TLDR is I don't disagree with you at all. I mean, I, I think you're 100% right. One way that I will explain the importance of music and movies, even historically, is that think about silent movies. Silent movies are not silent because there was no sound. They were silent because there was no recorded dialogue on, like there was no dialogue track, but there was always music played in the theater associated with the plot of the movie. And so they would literally send these to theaters and sometimes they'd play random ass music, but more likely there would be instructions on what music to play live on a piano or an organ while the movie played in the background. That's interesting. So, I did not know that. Yeah. So music, here's the, the statement. Music came before dialogue in movies. That's how important it is. And so in the conception of the form, two, two things have always been true. Technology has driven the way that movies look, but sound, specifically music, has always been a part of the form. And so the way that directors build suspense and emotion and tension, all of these things that exist and make movies great are always rooted in music, even if you don't notice. And in fact, some of the most effective moments are ones that you don't. We're going to focus on the ones you do right today. But without music, modern movies would be just completely different. And I, I would argue that you can't separate the two forms from uh, one another at all. What I would say is that movies are always the result of choices made by people. They are not accidents. Every single thing you see in a movie is a choice. And this is kind of a theory you can harken back to like auteur theory from French filmmakers in the 60s to be a douche. But like this is the director is the one who is making the choices in the film that are most important. And that the movie itself is a sum total of the choices that the director makes. More important than the actor's decisions, more important than the editor's decisions, more important than anything. Some might disagree with that, but directors make choices about how to put music in movies and how they complement the film itself, how they complement the story, how they complement the acting, how they complement the scene. And so I've told Jordan this before, but I'll retell it for the pod. Like, I have this fun little stupid belief that we can have a podcast about my memoir called My Stupid Little Beliefs, the Gregory Hill story. But I believe, <laughs> I believe that every movie itself is its own unique sort of universe or its own unique reality. And that because of that, only the things that exist in the reality of that movie are the things that are explicitly said or pointed out or alluded to in the movie. Now, there's some assumptions we can make. Oxygen exists, fine. But if a movie doesn't talk about Nashville, Tennessee, Nashville, Tennessee doesn't exist in that movie's world. And so what that does is whenever I'm watching movies, I enjoy them almost more because I'm constantly thinking about this meta world that's being created in the movie itself. And music plays such an important part about that. It, it complements the characters in this world in which they live. And in my own little stupid reality, that music in that movie, if the characters are aware of it, is the only music that exists in that world. <laughs> so they only have so many songs that are played in that hour and 27 minutes or whatever. Next thing I'll say is sometimes a, it can be a score, obviously, like scores would be, you know, sort of done by an orchestra or they could be electronic, it doesn't matter, but it's typically not music that has vocals in it. We're not going to talk about that at all today. Other times, obviously, music can have an original soundtrack or it can be a musical. We're not going to talk about any of those things today. Jordan and I, as you alluded to earlier, are pop music fans. So we are going to talk about the moments in which a director specifically chooses to put a pop song in a movie. 
and specifically movies, uh, sorry, songs that already existed, right? These are songs that did not come from the movie itself. They already existed. You have a memory or a relationship or an association with that song, but now it's in this movie and you can't shake it, like Jordan said. It is now forever intertwined with that movie. And so to sum up, Jordan, you're 100% right. I think music can make or break a movie. I think some worse movies are made better by great music. You can listen to a movie like Empire Records, which I don't think is like a fantastic film, but Empire Records has great music and good characters, but it has like great music in it. So that movie is to me more enjoyable because of the music. And also like music can make a great movie even better. It can complement the acting, the screenwriting, the cinematography. So I am jazzed up to get into this episode, Jordan. So as we get started here, as usual, we are in the world of creating playlists. We're sort of directing our little playlist here. And our playlist is always going to be a way for us to just sort of sum up what this episode is about, package all that music together so you can listen to it on Spotify. And it will always be available at soundsgoodtous.com. You can find every playlist we've ever made. We hope that you'll save these. We hope that it'll save you time and you can just hit play on the playlist and it will play music regardless of what mood you're in. Or you can use it as a compliment to this episode. So you're going to hear very small sound bites of these movie clips in this episode. But if you want to hear the whole song, go to soundsgoodtous.com and just subscribe to the playlist on Spotify. Second, again, to remind the listener, every song we've chosen here is a pop song that was added to a movie. It was not a song that was necessarily made bespoke for that movie itself. Secondly, these are our favorite movie moments with music, not what we think are objectively the best. We're not interested in having that conversation. So Jordan, get us started. What is the first song on the playlist? Yeah, with my picks, it's important to note that I was born in 1985. Greg was 86. A lot of influence in our formative years in this list that you're about to see. And growing up to this day, all I wanted was a DeLorean. Yep. I've wanted a DeLorean for 36 years. I'll tell you right now, I have two computers both of them, the wallpaper is a DeLorean. I am looking at a DeLorean right now. I'm on my computer as we're recording this. It's it's right now my wallpaper. I can see part of the DeLorean coming out the side of my notes here. I'm going to kick us off with a song from, you guessed it, Back to the Future. And it's Power of Love by Huey Lewis and the News from 1985's Back to the Future. Doc, are you telling me that it's 825? Precisely. Damn, I'm late for school. So this song isn't technically the theme song, but it was written for the movie. So Greg, I kicked off the playlist with a bespoke Are you song. Violating the rules? So of course it's the first one uh, of the playlist <laughs> <laughs> that was written for the movie. Um, I, I technically didn't know this until I just looked it up. I had to, I had to double check. I thought it was, but it was yeah, written for was. Back to the Future. But it was a number one hit in 1985, even though That's it was fair. written for the movie. So you've got this opening scene where Marty McFly, he's late for school. He's got his his room with all those gadgets in them and the clocks and everything. It's just this very iconic opening scene. Mm -hmm. And he's late to school, right? You just heard that, and Power of Love starts playing. Another scene in this movie is, it's very meta. So Power of Love is played by Marty McFly 
in his I put in the notes talent show. It's not the talent show. It's an audition for the talent it's an show. Audition for the talent yeah, show. Yeah, an audition for the talent show. And Huey Lewis is one of the judges who's maybe a judge or he works at the school, but he's, he's determining if they're good enough to get into the talent show. And Huey Lewis just says, I'm afraid you're too darn loud. Yep. So it's his song being played by Marty McFly. The meta, it kind of hurts your brain when you think about it, but it is very cool, a great scene. And I can't not think about Back to the Future when I hear Power of Love. One last note. I almost did a Huey Lewis song from American Psycho with Christian Bale. If y'all have seen American Psycho, he weaves it into the movie. This is weird to talk about, but he murders people. And before he murders them, he plays Huey Lewis in the news. Yeah. (laughs) I'll just stop there. Just go watch the movie. Not news to me. All right. So do you like my joke? No, you didn't didn't smile. You didn't even, I looked into your eyes and you fell over my head after I said that. All right. So this is kind of my like, you know, music and movies 101. So the first one I want to highlight here, but is also one of my favorite, you know, music scenes in movie history is great songs can just be the centerpiece of iconic scenes. This is kind of what you alluded to, Jordan. Your next choice is definitely like this, but it's just the scene wouldn't exist without the song. It is the only thing that is happening in that scene is the scene is a way to, like a vehicle for that song to be played. Also, in this case, the characters are aware that the song is being played. So this is different from uh, Power of Love. In that opening scene, Marty McFly doesn't know that that no. song is being played, right? It's being played just in the movie, but the character doesn't hear it, right? So that's how some songs are in movies. The characters are unaware, but in other cases, the characters are aware the song is being played. For film buffs, this is called diegetic sound. So any sound that comes from the story world of the film is diegetic sound. And so my first example is going to be one of my favorite songs in any movie, one of my favorite scenes in any movie from you know 70s and 80s movies is Shout by Otis Day and the Nights from 1978's National Lampoon's Animal House. So this song is extra special to me because it also reminds me of, you know, it reminds me of the movie, but it also reminds me of the Bills. And so this is kind of the Bills song. They play it after every time that they score. It's the soundtrack of Bills Mafia. If you go anywhere where there are Bills fans and you go, you'll hear back, and they were just in Nashville and Jordan heard this, I'm sure everywhere you went. Some would say too much. Some would say that. But so, yeah, no one ever says tighten up ever. And so the <laughs> it is special for me because ever since I was able to remember things, I've been a Bills fan and they've always had this song playing at the games or when we're watching it at home, someone will play it off their phone or whatever. It's just an important thing. But in this movie, this song is perfect. It's high energy. They do the thing where like it's a little bit softer now and they're all going down to the ground and they're laying on the ground and they do the bacon thing and they're like frying. Like it's just this it's a problematic movie in a lot of ways, but this scene is just like very pure, very fun. And whenever I hear shout, I either think about the bills or I think about this scene. Other examples that I could have chose of like song diegetic sound songs that are in a movie that the characters are aware of. 
Dry the Rain by the Beta Band is in a really fun scene from High Fidelity where he basically bets the rest of the people at the music store that he could sell you know, X number of copies in the next X amount of time just by playing it. And he plays the beta band and everyone starts to nod their heads and people start flirting with each other. And then someone asks like, hey, who is this? And they buy it. And then another one, very obvious, like iconic moment movie history is Twist and Shout from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Every character in that scene when they're at the parade know it's Twist and Shout, Ferris Bueller singing Twist and Shout. So that is an example of a song that comes from the story world of the film. Next up, my favorite movie unequivocally of all time is Almost Famous. No question, if someone were to ask me, it would take me half a second to answer. If you are What's a your favorite movie lo- of all time, Almost Famous. See, see how fast that was. Longer than half a second. That was okay, like three fine. quarters of a second. Fine, fine. What's your favorite but, movie of all time? Almost Famous. Oh. <laughs> good. That was pretty good. If you're a music lover, which you're listening to this podcast, I assume you are, you have to watch Almost Famous. Even if you've seen it, watch it again. When I first saw this as a 15-year-old in the year 2000s when it came out, I knew at that time that music was my passion. And watching this scene that I'm about to talk about for the first time made me tear up. That is how incredible this scene is. If you love music, you love movies, this scene is for you. It's the bus scene, quote unquote. It's become kind of famous and being known as the bus scene, featuring or maybe the song. Almost famous. <laughs> it's almost famous, featuring the song "Tiny Dancer" by Elton John from 2000s. Almost famous. Ladies and gentlemen, the evening is over. We hope you all enjoyed yourselves, and we'll see you all again in 1974. Good evening. <laughs> So you just heard that there. They're all kind of just sitting there on the bus. It's a somber mood. Everyone's just kind of worn out. They're mad at each other. There's, there's, they're like, let's just get to the next town. And someone plays Tiny Dancer. And everyone starts to slowly start singing in unison. And everyone on the bus is just belting out the song. Turning back, she just laughs. The boulevard is not that bad. As a music lover and movie lover, this is the peak of American cinema for me. This three-minute scene in Almost Famous. I have two favorite things about Tiny Dancer. One is this scene that you're talking about. and I, It's impossible to think of that song, even though that song was obviously popular yeah. before that movie came out. The second one is that a lot of people think that, the, I'm sure you've heard this before, the line in Tiny Dancer is, Hold me closer, Tony Danza. Tony Danza. That's my second favorite thing about that song. All right, so earlier I mentioned diegetic sound. So that is sound that comes from the worldview of the film. The opposite of that is non-diegetic sound. So other times, the music is just completely unknown to the characters. It's just in the background. They're not aware that this sound is happening. They don't hear it. This is kind of like your example of Power of Love in um, the opening of Back to the Future Part 1. It's only heard by viewers, and it sort of just serves to complement the details, the narrative, provide emotions to the scene. So... 
My favorite example of this in a movie is um, Needle in the Hay by Elliot Smith from 2001's The Royal Tenenbaums. You want to play some word games or do some experiments on me or anything? No. Royal Tenenbaums has three elite musical choices in the movie. I, I There are three songs that... I hear them and they are top 1,000 pop songs in history, you know, maybe top 500 pop songs in history. And you hear them and I immediately think about Royal Tenenbaums. Not quite as fast as Jordan's half second for Almost Famous, but like it's like double that, like one second. And that could be These Days by Nico is, is one that the scene where Margot is getting off the bus and she looks beautiful and her it's her brother who, I guess, stepbrother or I guess adopted she's adopted right so he sees her and that song is playing in the background and it just perfectly frames how he feels about her that number one every time i hear that song i think about royal tenenbaums then me and julio down by the schoolyard when royal is driving around with stewie's little kids and they're like going to the y and they're jumping in the pool and they're like you know shoplifting and everything that they're doing in that scene i have always loved paul simon i knew about that song before the movie but the movie now supersedes my memory of that song but Needle in the Hay is one of the most effective music choices to me in a movie in the last, you know, 30 years. If you remember the scene and trigger warning, because I'm about to talk about suicide, the character who's very depressed, he was just turned down by his love, goes into a bathroom and is staring into a mirror and he has long hair and he has a beard and he, the song Needle in the Hay starts to play. He's unaware this song is playing. It's just playing in the background to build sort of emotion in the scene. And he is shaving, cutting his hair. He does this very slowly. And then at the end, it shows just his wrist, and he's cut his wrist, and he goes down on the floor, and he ends up surviving. But the song is dark, and it has this rhythm to it that complements the scene so well. I just, I can't, this is obvious, because this is, this is the thing about choices. We don't have the choice of what other song he could have gone with, but it just feels so perfect for that scene. It's it's like it's haunting and it, it just frames the entire scene in a way that I don't know if other songs could. So just when I love Elliot Smith, but whenever I think of Needle in the Hay, I always think about this movie. Just like whenever I think about Miss Misery, I think about Goodwill Hunting. I guess Elliot Smith yeah. is chosen in a lot of movies this time period. The last thing I'll say is Wes Anderson is is known for this. This is not like a hot take by me, but he is he is elite at selecting music in his movies outside of just like being that like 2000s hipster twee brooklyn guy his aesthetic his musical choices are really really effective another one that jordan and i were talking back and forth last week was his choice of ooh la la from faces we've talked about wanting to do a faces episode at some point i'm trying to work faces into every episode that we don't but at the very end of the movie at the dance when everything has kind of been resolved it's just, it's perfect. And and so I love Wes Anderson and I love his choices in music. Needle in the Hay is, is one of my favorites. Good choice. Next up, there have been only two movies in my life that I've watched for the first time. Then the credits rolled. I then paused it, started the movie over and watched it again. So two times, sitting down and watching a movie back to back. Shutter Island, which is a phenomenal movie. And when you mm -hmm. see it the first time, you've got to watch it again. Whether it's again right after or the next day or that that week, you, you're like, I need to watch that again because the, mm -hmm. the ending has such a twist that you need to go back and see all of the clues and everything that's going on. The second is Donnie Darko. 
Donnie Darko is a top 10 movie of all time for me. It combines drama. Fuck comedy. you. You're wrong that it's your favorite. You like Taco <laughs> you're wrong. Bell. Fuck you. Your list is different. <laughs> it combines drama, comedy, horror, 80s nostalgia. I mean, it's everything that you'd want in a movie like this. Jake Gyllenhaal is amazing. I quote this so movie more that, yeah. Yeah, she, Maggie is great. I quote this movie all the time. I also was raised to be a big Tears for Fears fan. I am one. My dad's a huge fan. I listened to Tears for Fears since I came out of the womb, basically. They're my favorite band of the 80s. And this song that I'm about to play for you is by far my favorite band of the 80s, so Tears for Fears, in one of my favorite movies. So these two things combined together. It's why it made the list. It's the perfect combination for me. And it's Head Over Heels by Tears for Fears from 2001's Donnie Darko. That the clip we just played for you is obviously just the song. Go maybe YouTube Donnie Darko Head Over Heels. It's a beautiful scene. It's kids jumping off a bus, going through the hallways of their high school. It can it's like one continuous shot, or at least it appears to be. And it goes through, I don't know, a few minutes of a school. So you've got all the primary characters of the movie in this entire shot. Everyone who's in the movie is in the shot, which is really cool. I don't think that's super common. It also features Sparkle Motion, the girls' dance team in the movie, which is a, a nice little subplot. And then it ends with Drew Barrymore sitting on her desk. She plays a teacher, and she's starting her class. And it goes into one of my favorite scenes of the 2000s, is the cellar door scene, where she talks about how cellar door is the most beautiful combination of words and letters in the English language. Remember that scene, Greg? Yeah. Yeah, it's just a great movie. If you haven't seen the movie, obviously watch it or go back and watch this scene, Head Over Heels with Tears for Fears. All right, so my third little mini lesson here is that sometimes music offers a chance for characters to bond. Diegetic sound, but it is something that is like crucial to the plot in which only music can unite characters that shouldn't get along, right? This is a trope that we see in lots of movies, people bonding over music. And I think the most effective example of that comes from a movie that probably most people wouldn't say is amazing. A lot, I think a lot of people like it. I think it's a fantastically effective movie. But the song that I chose is Ain't No Mountain High Enough by Marvin Gaye and Tommy Terrell from 2000's Remember the Titans. That's a, that's a mama joke. <laughs> I was thinking there were a lot of other options I could choose. I think one other one that I really like is What's So Funny About Peace, Love, and Understanding by Elvis Costello, which is a song that Bill Murray sings in the karaoke bar in Lost in Translation. And yeah. obviously, him and Scarlett's character were already vibing at that point. But that sort of that night, that scene culminates an evening in which they became 
you know, whether they were pl- platonically or sexually involved, we could talk about that movie for an hour, but that's the point where they became intertwined. But I think <laughs> Ain't No Mountain High Enough is is more of a dynamic shift in which you have characters that are divided, right? You have the racial dynamics in Remember the Titans. You have a previously segregated school. The school is then desegregated. And now the football team, which football starts before the school year starts. And so you have for really the bleeding edge of these racial politics happen on the football field. And they have to figure out a way to coexist so that they can win a championship. And on every level of that football team, white versus black is sort of the beginning of the movie. But it's really the character of Louis, the the overweight lineman, and Rev, who both bond over their love of music that starts to sort of build a bridge between the black players and the white players. And this is all like really fucking cheesy. And like you could talk about for a long time about whether or not this is the right way to do it. But in the movie, you're like, this song just healed racism. And this is awesome. And so then throughout the rest of the movie, they have this thing, music, that they bond with. Every single scene that is meant to sort of show you the way that the team is coming together has music at its centerpiece. But I think this one and the scene in which Louis walks in and he's like acting like his back hurts and the guy's like, hey man, what's wrong with your back? Elastic, man. What, what happened to you? Man, I just gave your mom a piggyback ride and she weighs twice as much as <laughs> That's a a mama joke. (laughs) But also that just song, you just feel really good. That song is meant to make you feel good. It's it's kind of meant to be empty calories in some ways. But I love that song and how it fits in the movie. It's pivotal. It's an emotionally effective movie. And this song shows you that even in a movie like Remember the Titans, music can play a role in just really pulling at your heartstrings as characters bond over music and shows how important music can be. Next up. So this is this is the only one on my list where I'm curious if other people think about this movie when they hear this song or it's just me. Greg, do you think about Forrest Gump when you hear the song Fortunate Son by Credence? Not first. So I'm I'm in the, and not because this is a bad choice by you. It's just that the thing about Forrest Gump we could talk about, I'm sure you might is like the the movie is a soundtrack. Yeah, it, like it's not. It, I don't think about it, but now that you've said it, I am. I can visualize the scene perfectly yeah. because of the song. So yeah, I, yeah it's a good. So choice. the scene is relatively famous, right? But I just for some reason it's just like baked into my mind when I hear "Fortunate Son" by Creedence Clearwater Revival. I think of this scene. You come back safe to me. Do you hear? They told us that Vietnam was going to be very different from the United States of America. Except for all the beer cans and the barbecue, it was. I watched Forrest Gump a lot as a kid in the 90s. I've seen it probably 50 times. And this song predates the movie by 25 years. So for whatever reason, it's just changed this song for me, which we were young when it came out. I don't know if it changed anything, but it's, it's baked in now. And every time that I hear Fortunate Son by Creedence Clearwater Revival, I think of Forrest Gump. I had the soundtrack, and I'm trying to remember the movie, which I love. I've seen it, you know, this is probably the same amount. Yeah. 
I'm trying to think about what other songs are more iconic. I remember the soundtrack, but like, you know, Runner on Empty is playing while he's running, right? This one, I think, takes the cake. I mean, Sweet Home Alabama plays at some point because he's from Alabama. I've got one. So I- this is the end or the end. I mean, <laughs> every time I see someone with a guitar case, I go, he's got a guitar case. <laughs> He had him a guitar case. Remember when he meets Elvis in the movie? Uh-huh. Elvis is like stopping through town yeah. and he plays Hound Dog. Whenever I hear like Elvis in the movie plays Hound Dog, like ain't nothing yep. but. And Forrest starts singing, or sorry, dancing. Dancing. Yeah. Dancing to it. I think of that scene when I hear Hound Dog. But yeah. The thing I, mean, I probably remember most about the movie is the. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Land of a Thousand Dances, that scene is memorable. Yeah. A break on Through is when she's doing drugs. Jenny's doing drugs, right? Yeah. Break on Through to the other side. Yeah. Yeah. I think that you could play, like, we're looking at the list right now of soundtrack. You could play one of these songs and say, think about Forrest Gump, and I could see the scene. Yeah, in my blowing life. in the wind when Jenny is nude singing. Yeah. she has a guitar covering herself. She's yeah. singing in front of the, and then Forrest beats the shit out of the guy at the. There's 32 the, songs in the movie. It's 32. It's yeah, <laughs> and that's not I the, love this. Was I will say that this movie, when it comes to our own, maybe I don't know. We didn't know each other when this movie came out, so I don't know if this was your experience with it. But I'd heard a lot of these songs from my parents' records. To have 32 songs on a two-CD set and to be able to own that and listen to these bands yeah. and learn about The Doors and Great Jefferson point. Uh, Airplane and Wilson Pickett. Like, this was an entree to people, I think, of our age into music from the 60s and 70s. It probably introduced um, me and you to these songs. Like, we, we might not have ever really listened to them before. Probably not. I mean, obviously, like, Elvis is, but, like, Dwayne Eddy, how, how often were we listening to Rebel Rouser? Like, Rebel Rouser is an incredibly important song in rock and roll history, and, like, I didn't know anything about that song, right? But, yeah, you exactly. know, Wilson Pickett, I became a lifelong Wilson Pickett song because of Land of a Thousand Dances, yeah. and it's, like, my 10th favorite Wilson Pickett song at this point. So, yeah, yeah this was... I'm glad you took us down this little memory lane yeah. because <laughs> this movie is such a... It, it is a music movie. It is, it is it's rich. It's a music, music movie, for sure. Yeah. But the scene's amazing. It's it's when he's going to Vietnam, just so y'all can have it mm-hmm. in your mind. We see Forrest in that helicopter. It's where it leads into a very, very important part of the movie, and that's where Forrest and Bubba meet Lieutenant Dan on the battlefield in Vietnam. You must be my FNGs. Morning, sir. Oh, get your hands down. Do not salute me. There are goddamn snipers all around this area who love to grease an officer. I'm Lieutenant Dan Taylor. Welcome to Fort Platoon. Go watch Forrest Gump or at least YouTube Fortunate Son and, and watch that scene. All right. So mini lesson number four. Sometimes the choice of a song is so iconic that it sets the entire tone for the scene. So... In this case, the characters are unaware of the song. Like this is not like Shout in Animal House. The song itself is so associated with the scene that the song is almost writing the pace of the scene. And, and it's it's hard to explain what I mean by this, but like a great song can then be made even better when it's matched with that scene. So you have this like synergy between the song, the movie, the movie, and the song in a way that's impossible to decouple. And this can be especially true for songs that play over like narrative segments or monologues, and that helps propel the story forward. But a monologue where it's just showing you snippets of the movie, it, it's fast forwarding you through the narrative, right? It's not going to show you, instead of showing you an extra two hours of movie, it's going to show you that in two minutes, yeah. and then it's going to have a song play. And so that song has to be good because 
you're having to pick up on a lot of the narrative elements just by watching it, and the song has to tell part of that story. Probably one of the most famous uses of this, and one of my favorites, is the song Layla by Eric Clapton that Martin Scorsese used in 1990's Goodfellas. Jimmy was cutting every link between himself and the robbery, but it had nothing to do with me. And so like Wes Anderson, Martin Scorsese is an all-time great in music choices for movies. He's made fun of a lot by movie people because he just pretty much always reuses the same Rolling Stone songs, but fuck it, it's Martin Scorsese and he can do whatever he wants. He likes the Rolling Stones, get off of his back. He's not telling you he's the best, he's just telling you it's his favorite. But the scene in Goodfellas, and if you haven't seen Goodfellas, Goodfellas is a story that's really in two acts. One is how great it would be to be a mobster in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. The other act is how terrible the consequences of being a mobster would be during that time period. And so the first half, everything's really fun and bright and light and amazing. And it's kind of like doing coke, people have explained. It's like the first act is doing coke. The second act is coming off of coke. And a lot of people say that was because people, a lot of people were doing coke in the 80s. But this song is the bridge between the awesome into the terrible. And so you have these people are a family and they're making a lot of money and they're becoming very powerful. And yes, they're doing bad things. But in the movie, those can be explained because you like them. And it's okay that they're doing these bad things because they're doing bad things to other bad people. No one's getting hurt. But our heroes are persevering. This song plays over a point where one of the characters in the movie played by Joe Pesci, is supposed to be made. And in the movie, you you understand that being made for a mobster, it means that you're untouchable, right? This is a big deal. This is like graduating college for a mobster, right? The song is playing while all of these things start to happen. And yet first you're like, cool, things are going really well. But then you start to see bad things. Like people that you recognize from the movie have been murdered and they're being put into trash compactors. And you're like, wait, we knew that character. Now he's dead too? What is going on? And so the song is playing the piano part from Layla, and then it goes into the to the guitar part. And then, probably the most powerful scene in the entire movie, Joe Pesci is shot because of something he did way earlier in the movie. And now the, one of the three main characters is dead. And Robert De Niro's character finds out about this over the phone. You know what happened. He doesn't know what happened. But you watch him hear the news and then just break down. It's the most yep. emotional scene in the movie. Layla is the backdrop for that transition. And I, I, I think Layla forms that backdrop very well and creates an emotion that transposits you from happy to kind of scared. Great choice. For me, I think I saved the best for last because this scene is fucking incredible. Every time I hear the song, Any Way You Want It by Journey, I think of Rodney Dangerfield in Caddyshack. Hey, what do you got in here, rocks? Are you kidding? When I was your age, I would lug 50 pounds of ice up five, six flights of stairs. So what? So what? So let's dance. I was alone. I never knew. So they're walking up to the green. Rodney Dangerfield, they're playing golf, obviously. He's got his golf bag, his caddy. If James Bond had a golf bag, this would be it. It's got all the gadgets. It's got a beer tap, and he's pouring out beers for people. It has a radio with speakers built in. 
he turns on the radio in the middle of the golf course and this song is blaring. Everyone starts dancing in unison on the golf course, which is just ridiculous in its own right. Like that's the best thing about Caddyshack is it's not believable. It's ridiculous, but it's still incredible. And if you are listening to my voice right now and you've seen Caddyshack, when you hear Any Way You Want It by Journey, I know you think of a dancing Rodney Dangerfield. You almost can't. The scene is iconic. And of all the movies we mentioned, I'll speak for myself here, Craig. If you haven't seen Caddyshack, please go watch Caddyshack. It's it. Caddyshack is, if someone says the best comedy of all time, I wouldn't argue with them. This scene is incredible and the song is amazing in it. I am going to end the playlist with a, a mini lesson about endings to movies. So lastly, a pivotal role that songs can play. We talked about diegetic sound. You've learned about how songs can form a scene where the characters are aware of it and it comes from the world of it. You, you've also heard about how songs can make emotions or how they can bring characters together and propel the narrative. You've heard how they can form the backdrop of a montage or a way to sort of accelerate and create feelings in a movie. The last one is how music can effectively end a movie and wrap the movie up in a way that only music can do. And the way that it can create finality to a story, in a way that just dialogue and acting can't. You know, if you think about movies with the most powerful music endings, you can't imagine if it was just like, and that's the film. Like, if they just said something, like having music at the end is like having like a beautiful port at the end of a fantastic meal or a, a digestif or something or whatever, the, a mint, whatever, whatever you do. That is what a great song can do either at the end of the movie or over the credits. And I, I think for me, my favorite for sure is Where Is My Mind by the Pixies from 1999's Fight Club. Look at me. I'm really okay. Trust me. Everything's going to be fine. <laughs> I would, as a music fan, I would consider myself an above average listener of the Pixies. I have gone deep into the Pixies. I've owned multiple albums. And Where Is My Mind, although is is their most famous song, it is their most famous song because of this movie, right? This was not their most famous song pre this movie. And it's not my favorite song by the Pixies. But when you hear this song, when I hear this song, the only thing I think about is Fight Club. It is impossible, maybe more so than any other song on this list for me, it is impossible for, for me not to think about the final scene of Fight Club. So much that it, it almost seems like it was written for the movie and was only for that movie. In the movie Fight Club, which if you've seen, you obviously know that you have a single character who's, you know, you have Edward Norton and you have Brad Pitt, but they're the same person, spoiler alert. You've gone through all these emotional roller coaster parts of the plot. Like at first it's really fun and it's similar to Goodfellas, then everything falls apart and then he finds out that Tyler Durden is just himself and now he's fighting against himself because he doesn't know what the fuck he's already done. He has to basically defeat all these evil forces that he's in charge of who have been said that they can kill him if he says that they should stop and they're going to blow up all these buildings. And so you're going through all this. You're like, what the fuck is happening? Then he shoots himself to kill the, (laughs) the schizophrenic part of his brain. And so you've seen all of this and then he just, at the end of the movie, that's everything that's happened. It's him and Darla standing hand in hand. The camera is at their backs and it is overlooking a city. They're like in an office building. And the song starts. And then when the song beat drops, the buildings explode and they all start to fall to the ground. And he says, 
I'm sorry, Marla, something along these lines. You've just met me at a really weird time of my life. And he's just destroyed the financial infrastructure of the world while this song plays in the background and leads into the credits. And as a coda for that movie, it's perfect. It's a it's such a cynical story, right? You can read that movie in a lot of different ways and people have been reading it differently, you know, now as they look back on it. But it is a cynical movie. It's about how the world is fucked up. But that song does leave you with some semblance of hope, even though you're watching buildings being blown up. But because of the juxtaposition of that song and what you're seeing and then what you're feeling from the characters, it's just great. It almost like leaves me with chills in that movie. I love it. Later and later in life, it's harder to watch that movie. I love it. Yeah. It's, like you said, it's, it's not, you have to be in the right state of mind to watch Fight Club. Agreed. It's, it's the kind of movie that when we were in 1999, we were that age, you watch it and you're it's just like, like, yeah, this is how I feel. Cool. Fuck it. Yeah, and then you're like, oh, this is why the world is fucked yeah. up. It's because people think this way <laughs> it's now. It's too okay, real. Cool. It's too real. Got it. Uh, yeah. So I have a couple other runners up in this category, if you'll indulge me, Jordan. One is, I love the movie Heathers. Have you seen the movie Heathers from 1998? Yeah, I, I don't love it. I see why people like it. But yes, I have seen it. I love that movie. The ending is uh, Sly and the Family Stone playing K. Sarah Sarah. It's just a great ending to that movie. Rage Against the Machine, Wake Up at the Ending of the Matrix is obviously great. Everyone loves that. Oh. The most on-the-nose choice here is Iron Man playing at the end of 2008's Iron Man. Great ending to that movie. Like, what other choice are yeah. you going to make? Right? If you played another Black Sabbath song, <laughs> and you're just like, what the fuck are you doing? Uh, Simple Minds, Don't forget, don't You Forget About Me from 1985's Breakfast Club is an obvious choice. That's a great one. Like, these are just really effective choices at the end. But my favorite, one of my favorite movies of all time is Harold and Maude. And the ending of Harold and Maude is If You Want to Sing Out, Sing Out by Yousef slash Cat Stevens from the 1971 movie. That's my fa- probably my favorite choice, but I just felt like talking about Fight Club and the ending of Fight Club was just kind of more applicable here. Don't You Forget About Me is, is one we can put on our list. My God. <laughs> every mm-hmm. time. I, yeah, that song, I cannot decouple from the movie. My Every yeah. time I think about it, I think of the cast of Breakfast Club. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Well, that's the playlist. That's the episode. We are grateful that you took some of your time to listen to us. We very much appreciate it. You can follow us on the Instagram and the Twitter. We are not available on Meta yet, but we will someday be in the Metaverse ourselves. But for now, just give us a follow on Instagram. Give us a follow on Twitter. We love hearing ideas from listeners. Most of the ideas from our episodes these days actually come from listeners. Something that they've DM'd us about or they've tweeted at us or they've made a reply. They've said, hey, you know, what do you think about this? We think about it and we try to make it happen. So the more ideas you give us, the more varied our episodes will be. If you just hear our ideas, they're going to be like, you know, 90s rock over and over and over again. So give us some ideas to do something fun and different. You can also probably most importantly, follow us on Spotify. You will get notified every time one of these episodes comes out. You will also see it in your feed and then you can just hit play. You don't have to go do something special. You just hit play. You listen to our voices and we will make you happy and bring you joy. You can also subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. And on Apple Podcasts, you can leave us a review. One, two, three, four, or five stars, whatever you so choose. But give us some feedback. We love to hear from you and that helps us improve and not get worse, I guess. And then you can do us the biggest favor, so favor of them all. Jordan, what's the biggest favor of them all? Tell the listener. Listen to the podcast. No, what is the biggest favor? Even more than listening. We don't care if you listen. We care if you... Share it with your friends on social media, nice. including was, Meta. Oh, yeah. You can share it on... I guess Meta doesn't exist yet. Well, the company does. The product is still Facebook. Yeah. And you please, can share, it on Facebook. share it on web two and three. And if you four. don't mind, four, I mean, Seven. you just can't just do two. You got to do three. Yeah. 
Yeah, or so, go back to Web One. Just yeah, you know. go to Web One, make an HTML website on Angel Fire, and share <laughs> it there. I, we yeah, need one, can, two, and three, if you don't mind. Hyperlink to uh, Morello Fiend's Rage Against the Machine site, the <laughs> <laughs> number one in the world. And uh, but yeah, so just you know, share it. Obviously, we would rather we would rather have two fans that appreciate it than many fans. We appreciate you listening. We appreciate you sharing, and we appreciate you following us. And we will talk to you very soon. Say good night, Jordan. Good night, Jordan. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>